It's amazing how appropriate God's word is. And uh, I'm going to be speaking this morning about peace in the storm. And so I feel this is an appropriate word uh, for us today. If you can turn to Mark in chapter 4, we'll be reading some verses there. Mark chapter 4 and from verse 35. This is Jesus calming the storm. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great storm arose, and the waves were breaking onto the boat, so that the boat was already filled. But he he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. Now, this is a true story, a truly scary event that happened in the middle of the night, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of one of Jesus' ministry tours. We've got a map here, but I want us to see first a little bit of the history, a little bit of the context of what was going on. And then I want to just bring out some truths about living through a storm. The Sea of Galilee here at the top, and I did have a pointer which I seem to have lost. Owen, wonderful. The Sea of Galilee, thank you, is at the top of the map there. You've got Jerusalem down the, the bottom further. The Sea of Galilee um, was quite a big lake. It was about 15 miles, is about 15 miles long and seven miles wide. It feeds into the River Jordan, which eventually goes into the Dead Sea at the bottom. But the significant thing about um, Galilee was this lake, this sea, was surrounded by huge mountains. And these mountains forced wind, like into wind tunnels down onto the lake. So sudden storms can occur on this lake. We're told that it was evening, it had been a tiring day, and Jesus had said to his disciples, let's go across the lake. So they left the crowds and boarded uh, a small sailing boat. We've now got an image of a small sailing boat. Sorry, ladies, it's a bit blokey today, maps and boats. A boat dating from the time uh, of Jesus has been actually recovered from the Sea of Galilee. And uh, this is one that would be similar to what Jesus would have been in. It's approximately 26 foot long and 7 foot wide. It had a front deck and an aft deck. That's at the back. And it had a central uh, mast and simple sail. The capacity of one of these boats would have been about 15 people, uh, plus a herdsman and some oarsmen. Jesus and his disciples set sail during the evening on calm water, and Jesus nodded off. He fell asleep in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. I love that little detail that Mark gives us there. And this is the only time that Jesus um, is recorded to have fallen asleep. I'm sure he fell asleep many times, but this is the only recorded time that he fell asleep. And suddenly there came this windstorm which swept 
on the lake in the middle of the night. And this storm spoke fear into the hearts of the disciples. The howling winds created enormous waves. They were crashing over the sides of the boat, filling it with water. They were being swamped and likely to sink. When you're in a boat that's taking in water, I should imagine it's pretty scary. Peter, Andrew, James and John were all fishermen and probably knew the Sea of Galilee well. These experienced fishermen knew that this was a precarious situation. They could all drown and sink without trace. I imagine their life experience of fishing in dangerous waters kicked in. And quite naturally, they were feeling panicky and scared. They feared for their lives. You know, our experiences in life understandably feed into our emotional responses and decisions that we make. The first and only time I crossed the English Channel in a sailing boat, there were nine of us in the boat. The boat was about 10 foot longer than this would have been. And um, almost everyone on board was as green as I was green. I saw the last meal I had, and it wasn't on the plate. It was not a good experience for me. I still have problems looking at pickled gherkins. <laughs> I've sailed many times since, or a number of times since, that's probably exaggerating it many, but a number of times, and I cannot get that experience out of my head, so I always check the weather forecast. But the thing is, our experiences naturally affect our responses when we face similar situations. If you're bitten by an animal, a dog or a horse, you'll be nervous around those animals. Now, these disciples thought that they were going to die. They were surely going to drown in this deep water in the middle of their night. And their response of panic and fear was somehow quite expected. But Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. The disciples doubted Jesus' care for them at that point. They thought they were going to drown and they were going to perish. But what could Jesus do? He was a carpenter and now a teacher. And yet they turned to him and woke him up. The disciples experienced, you see, this naturally occurring storm, which they would have probably experienced before, spoke fear and panic into their hearts and unbelief. They were not at peace in this moment of time. But the second thing in this story is that not only did the storm speak, but Jesus spoke. And Jesus came and he spoke peace. Did you notice the words there? What did Jesus say? The first thing he said was he spoke to the wind and the waves and he said, peace be still. And the wind ceased and the sea became calm again. Look at those verses again. The storm was great, it says, but the calm was also described as great. Jesus, you see here, displays not to the crowds, as he had been teaching earlier, but just to his disciples, his lordship, his kingship, his authority over natural events. Peace be still. Three short words and the raging storm immediately stopped and all was calm and quiet. Jesus speaking those three simple words to the wind and waves 
and those obeying his command is impossible. That shouldn't have happened. King Canute lived about a thousand years ago and is portrayed as rather sad and perhaps a little mad as a king, sitting on a beach trying to rebuke the tide coming in. Another side to that story is that actually he was trying to show people that he was not a supreme sovereign that they thought he was, that actually there was someone greater than him and he could control everything. Whichever view, you, you can choose which one you want. But God, of course, had demonstrated his authority and power many times in the past over nature. He held back the waters of the Red Sea. Water came from the rock at Moses' command. Moses commanded it, but God did it. Fire came from heaven and consumed the um, offering in Elijah's story. Food was delivered to Elijah, not by Deliveroo. Oh, three of you got that joke. But by ravens. Earth stood still for a day. And of course, during Jesus' ministry, there was much more to come. Multiplication of loaves and fish to feed 5,000 people and 4,000 people. Jesus defying the natural law of gravity and walking on the water in another event. Jesus speaking to a fig tree and it dying. The raising of a dead child and Lazarus. There was more to come. Jesus shows here, you see, us here, you see, that he is God. Earlier in the story, we saw his humanity. He can do the impossible and has authority and power, the same as Father God. What can we learn about storms in our own life through this story? It's an allegory for us this morning. We all have storms to weather, things that we have to navigate. Some of these storms are great in our lives, like financial storms or relationship storms, physical illness storms, cancer scare storms, long-term illness, emotional storms of anxiety, fear, depression, the storm of temptation, that's a big one at times, the storm of loss and bereavement. There are many storms that we have to navigate in our lives. Think of storms that you have faced or maybe even facing right now and listen to these words from John 16. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. There's going to be trouble, there's going to be storms. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus here was demonstrating his authority and power over nature, over all things, because he is creator God. But is that how it works always? Jesus comes and says, peace be still, and the storm always stops. Is that your experience? It's not been mine. If we're honest, those nice, warm, pink, fluffy peace feelings don't always fill our hearts, do they? Sometimes we're in a different place. So what are we to make of this? In our natural world, there are different storms, such as tropical storms, cyclones, I looked up storms a bit, hurricanes, tornadoes, whirlwinds. 
The length of storms also can vary as well as the type of storm. Last winter, you might remember, we had loads of storms coming in from the Atlantic Ocean um, over a week or so. There were wave after wave of storms that battered our coasts and everything in its path. And sometimes storms in life can feel a bit like that. They just keep on coming. Ever had that experience where it feels like, oh, not another storm, not another thing happening? We can feel overwhelmed, can't we, at times? Some years ago, I lived through a tropical storm, which was pretty scary, because I was in a developing country, and the buildings around us weren't that secure. They didn't look like they'd stand up to 10 miles an hour, let alone 100 miles an hour winds. As we've seen before in last week's word to us, the absence of... Um, before peace, peace is not always, doesn't always mean the absence of a storm. Get my words together. We can still be at peace in the middle of a storm. And during that storm, deep inside my being, I was at peace. Now, I was scared at what we might find the next morning what injuries people might have had. But I was, had a deep peace even in that storm. So how can we have deep peace? The key, I believe, is that we have peace in the person of Jesus. Because Jesus will always be with us. He is in our boat with us, as he was in this story. I've heard many testimonies over the years of how Christians have experienced amazing depths of peace through various storms in their life. Maybe you have such a testimony. Because Jesus will always be in the boat. Although Jesus in this story was clearly speaking to the physical wind and waves when he said, peace be still, I somehow think he was also talking to his disciples' hearts as well. Peace be still. It's okay, I am with you. You and I so often need to hear those words, don't we, when we are in storms of life. Listen to some words from John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Not some temporary release not some distraction, not some amnesia from the storm, some drug. No, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace I live, leave with you, my peace I give you. With Jesus, nothing is impossible. No storm too huge that he cannot tame. Christ will carry us through every danger being committed to absolutely, totally bring us through to life's end. Jeff Ty, though he had a difficult end to his life, Jesus has brought him through to a safe place because Jesus is totally committed to bringing us safely into his presence, into eternity. Any storm we face, as Paul put it, is like a momentary affliction in the light of eternity. Now, the storm can seem like it's lasting for months. In the light of eternity, it is short. Your Father, God, never sleeps. He never takes 40 winks. 
He never has a nap while watching TV or nods off reading a novel. No, we can be at peace knowing his power and authority is over us and keeping us safe. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So Jesus spoke first to the storm and then he speaks directly to the disciples. Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Or it can be translated, where is your faith? Wow, this sounds rather harsh, doesn't it, from Jesus? This was a a life-threatening storm. These words sound quite unkind. But these disciples had some deeper lessons to learn. The disciples in the panic had forgotten the teaching. They'd forgotten the miracles. They'd forgotten the personal conversations and the care that Jesus had shown them over previous months and years. And you know, we too so easily forget, don't we? We forget the teaching. We forget the triumphs. We forget the miracles. We forget the interventions of God and the breakthroughs. So often I think we've got a a sort of like short-term memory loss over our spiritual lives. That is why we so highly value in this church stories and testimonies. That's why we're always encouraging you to write your testimonies and put them in the box, put them on the story cards. Let us hear about them. You see, Jesus knows and sees our weaknesses and is calling us deeper. He knows we've got weak faith like the disciples. We've got a bit of an inconsistent hope at times. Those times when we don't man up or we're in, have an inadequate love or lack of courage at times. You know, he sympathises with all of those weaknesses. Yet his grace is there for us as we've been learning the last few weeks. His grace is there and is calling us deeper. He's calling us to a deeper level of his love. Because of all that you have seen and experienced of me and known of me, he's saying, come on, trust me deeper. Put your trust deeper in me. That's what he's saying to the disciples. So thirdly, I want us to get a little bit practical here. How can we live at peace through a storm? Now, I don't want to give you any glib answers because I've lived through storms that have been difficult to, to come through. But I think this passage shows us one key thing that is really important. Storms, you know, in our lives often expose lies. Did you notice in this passage that the disciples believed a lie? In verse 38 it said, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? These disciples of Jesus, despite living with him for so long, questioned his love for them. In the storm, they spoke out what their hearts were believing. Sometimes storms expose lies that we believe deep in our hearts. So I want to ask, what lies do you believe in the middle of a storm? What lies are you believing about God or others or yourself? What lies do you have in your heart that do not line up with God's truth? You know, our internal voice can be saying, something very similar to what the disciples were saying. The gentle and powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives will bring these lies to the surface. 
not always through a storm, but they can happen through a storm. But when you're conscious of these lies, things that you're believing, you have a choice to make. Do you deal with that lie or do you live with it? I believe our Father wants us to intentionally deal with lies as we become aware of them in our Christian experience and to learn how to disciple ourselves through lies. A top tip for you this morning. When I lose my peace, I often go to the Father and say, Father, where did I lose my peace? Where did I drop it? Where have I sinned? Did I do something wrong? What's come against me to make me feel like this? Am I believing a lie? Father, what has caused me to lose this peace? What is at the root of my dis-ease? How do you want me to deal with this? They're really good questions to go to God with when you lose your peace. And God will speak to you. He will show you. You know, I woke up this morning and I had one of those uh, silly dreams. And it unsettled me. And I came to God this morning and said, Lord, why has this unsettled me? I, want, I don't want to be this unpeaceful because of this dream. It's a really good question to ask God. When you lose your peace, Father, where did I lose my peace? The second thing that I think we need to do is uh, when those lies are exposed in our lives is to repent and reject those lies. Repenting of the lies that we believe is so important. It's a positive step towards peace. I'm so sorry, Lord, that I believed that about you or that situation or that person or about myself. I repent of it. I turn from it. I want to get rid of it. Lord, forgive me. I had to uh, uh, forgive a person recently and... Um, you know, I preach it, I teach it, I believe it, I love it, but I forgave that person in my head, not my heart. And there's a very big difference. You can go through the motion with your head, but forgiveness and um, any issue like that, repenting of our lies and stuff like that, we need to do from our heart, not just a superficial acknowledgement of it. But you know, repentance enables us and empowers us to break agreement with the lies that we believe. And I believe we need to wage war on the lies and completely reject them, get them out of our lives because they never do us any good. And the devil is the father of lies and that's the way he likes to work in us. If you've believed a lie for a long time, it can take a bit of a determination to get it out of your, your system, as it were, get it out of your life. It takes 30 to 40 days to change our thinking. If you've done freedom in Christ, you know this. And uh, I hope you practice it as well. The good news is that we can change the wrong beliefs that we have. We can change those wrong thought patterns we have in 30 or 40 days. That's actually an incredibly short period of time, isn't it? If you think of your lifetime, to get to change your way of thinking. So any wrong thoughts that you have today you can be rid of by Christmas. How about that as a thought? Ephesians 4 verse 22 says, put off the old self. You know, his grace is working in our lives that we can put off these old things. We can get rid of them out of our lives. So these disciples needed to reject the thinking that Jesus did not care for them. 
Will you allow me a little rabbit trail? You know what a rabbit trail is, don't you? Going off the point a little bit. You allow me one, will you? Thank you, good. You know, we often ask the wrong question when we're in the middle of a storm. What do I mean by that? Well, we often ask the why question. Children ask why questions, don't they? I think it's around about the age four or five that they say, why, mummy? And then the next thing is, so why, mummy? And then the next question is, so why, mummy? Do I get a few nods there? Yeah. Do you know, a really good question to ask is not why, but why, uh, what are you wanting to say to me, Father? What are you saying in this storm? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to learn from this experience? Father, how can you help me through this? You know, asking the right questions is very often important. And sometimes a why question is not the right question. It's not a wrong question to ask, but sometimes there's better questions to ask. Thirdly, we're to embrace the truth in the storm. It is, easy, it is easy for us to expose the lies when we hear from Father God what the truth is. Truth like, I am with you every minute of every day. The storm will not overwhelm you. I am with you in the boat. When you pass through the valley, I am with you. You will not sink. Your life will not be shipwrecked. I care for you deeply. It's important that we believe truth when lies are exposed. So next, the disciples had their eyes opened that night to the truth of who Jesus was. And that filled them with great fear. And this fear was a good fear. The bad fear was dealt with. The storm ceased and they were filled with a good fear of God. <laughs> they were the type of fear that is one of reverence and respect and awe of Jesus' power. The disciples saw and wondered and said, who is this? You know, when we embrace the truth, when we put our faith afresh in what God says, then our faith is in the right person. The impossible situations will be brought to peace. It may take time, but that is where we are heading. We're heading for calm waters, as it were. When we expose lies, repent of them, totally reject them, and embrace the truth, I believe that we can live in peace, even in a storm. Even if that storm continues, we can still live at peace in the full knowledge that Father God and Jesus care so deeply about us and loves us. But you know, our greatest storm that rages in our hearts is that personal sin, which is a barrier between us and our Heavenly Father. And Jesus, in going to the cross, exposed the lies that we can save ourselves. You know, that we can roar in, row in the boat harder to save ourselves. We can't. It exposes the lie that we can find God by our efforts and our good works. We can find peace by doing it our way. None of those are true. Jesus, in going to the cross, took upon himself all the weight of our sin, our personal storm, and our lack of peace, and made a way so that we can have peace with God. 
That is the amazing exchange that the cross gives us. The storm against us was wrath and judgment. But he has overcome the storm. And he actually storms us with his love. There are three greats in this story. There was a great storm. There was a great calm. And then there was a great fear, a great awe, a great reverence of who Jesus was. And Jesus breaks the power of every storm and brings us peace with God. Amen. Can I invite the worship team just to come back up? And we're going to sing in a moment. But I want to read... Um, As they're getting ready, I want to read Philippians chapter 4 for you. In your groups this week, you'll be looking at this uh, passage. Can I just ask you to stand as we read the scripture here? Ephesians chapter 4. Maybe you want to just close your eyes and just receive these words. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God can you just at this moment just bring anything that you're anxious about just bring to him any storm that's going on in your heart because Jesus says do not be anxious about anything doesn't say don't be anxious about some things he says do not be anxious about anything and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus whatever is true think on these things Father God we thank you for the truth of your word thank you that we find peace in the person of Jesus. Thank you that we find peace in his person because of what he's done for us on the cross, his immense love. And thank you that you, you God, loved the world so much that you sent Jesus to us. And Jesus is our peace. He's our Prince of Peace. And we receive that peace afresh. Thank you, Lord, that you don't want our hearts to be troubled. Even when the storms rage, you promise us that deep inner peace. The Holy Spirit is bringing peace into your life. Just receive that. And we put our faith in the person of Jesus, our Prince of Peace. Amen.